Good evening, everyone. Allison Skabark here. We are happy uh, to be here tonight with you um, with the ADA Support Group Attention Deficit Disorder Association. This is the, um, from the Southern Region. We are in Texas, so if you are outside of Texas uh, tonight, we are coming to you from Texas. Um, the ADA organization has been serving the community since 1987. They have a variety of support groups um, all across the state. Um, some are adult groups um, for adults with uh, ADHD, ADD, and some are parent groups um, that support uh, families that have children uh, with or, or adolescents with uh, ADHD. So um, we are a parent support group. Uh, we meet once a month, and since COVID, we've been meeting by Zoom, and that has um, kind of proven to be a better um a better model for a lot of people. We used to meet face-to-face -face, uh, in Sugarland, and we had a group for the kids and a group for the parents. But since COVID, we've been uh, meeting um, by webinar, and each month we meet the last Tuesday of every month is typically when we meet, uh, excluding you know things like maybe Thanksgiving week or depending on how Christmas um, falls. And we typically do not meet uh, during the summer, and um, we a lot of people are doing their vacations and things like that. Um, so, um, the ADA organization is an organization that you can join. But Pam Esther started this organization in 1987, um, and um, she herself, um, you know, has a, a son with ADHD and knows quite well the challenges that as parents that we face. And she started this organization because she didn't want, there were other organizations out there that required, you know, expensive membership to join. Uh, there was like hoops and loops that you had to jump through to be a part of um, the group to get the information that was needed. And she never wanted that. So, um, so you absolutely can and should join the ADA organization. We're not pushers of that. You can join for $40 a year. Uh, they have an annual conference. They have amazing speakers. There's a lot of resources out there and a lot of um, groups all, again, all across the state. So um, tonight's webinar is being recorded, um, and everybody that is signed up for the webinar is going to get a copy of uh, the slides as well. Um, so um, for, you know, housekeeping uh, perspective, we want you to know that you are in webinar mode, and what that means is that we can't see you or hear you, um, but we do know that you're there. So if you've got kids in the background and you were worried about that, you don't have to worry about that. We can't see them or hear them. Um, we invite you to put your questions in the chat box tonight. We're excited to have uh, Linda Sherman here with us tonight. She's going to be talking about executive functioning, and um, she really has a, a coaching uh, a firm that she owns, and she'll talk a little bit more about that. But if you'll put your questions in the chat box tonight as we're going through the presentation, um, I'll be reading those questions to Linda, and we aim to answer just as many as we as we can. Some of the other slides will probably answer some of the questions. Um, later on in the presentation, she's going to um, be going over some real tips and strategies that, um, as parents, that we can use. So, um, so we are going to have some nuggets to walk away with that we can implement um, with our own families. So thank you so much um, for, for being here tonight. Um, I
appreciate uh, your support. And, and I just want to say that I come to you um, as a parent myself, right? As uh, as a parent with with a child with uh, ADHD that has transitioned into adulthood. So I sleep and breathe this both personally and professionally. Um, in in my real job, uh, you know, I, we we work with this as well. So. Um, and I know that the struggle is real. And, and a lot of times we're, you know, facing Linda, we're facing a lot of other comorbid conditions, other things like, you know, anxiety and depression. There's a lot of things going on that you know very, very well. And so um, sometimes, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, maybe we're struggling learners and there's just so many different things that we're, um, that are coming at us. And it's like, as parents, just when we get the hang of something, well, then they, they grow a little bit more and they change a little bit more. And then it's kind of a new set of territory of um, issues that we, that we want to work through. So we're so glad uh, that you are here with us tonight. And um, I'm going to let you take it away. The last thing I wanted to mention to everybody, um, if you're planning dinner or after this meeting, um, this meeting is going from 6.30 to 7.30. It's only one hour. So if you're planning your evening, I just wanted to let everybody know that as well. So thank you, Linda. Um, tell us tell us a little bit about what we're going to talk about tonight and what you're going to get into. Tell us a little bit about you. Yes, yes. So I titled this Understanding and Supporting Executive Function Skills in Students. Um, I have talked to small groups of parents and teachers, and um, I'm honored to be with you all tonight. This is my first um, hosting webinar, and I'm not a professional, but um, this is a passion I have. Um, and if we go to the next slide, I believe you see a little bit um, about my background. Um, and uh, as Allison said, I did start um, Sherman Skills for Success at the very end of 2021, but I have been in the school setting um, as a teacher and counselor for over 40 years. And I saw, I saw students firsthand struggle and um, they were lacking a lot of these executive function skills. And um, I incorporate study skills into my coaching as well. Um, and so anyway, I became a board certified coach at the end of 2021. Um, and I, I'm working currently with students. Um, I have nieces and nephews that um, have uh, ADHD as well. So I'm familiar with it as, as both of an aunt and as a teacher counselor. So the next slide just basically um, has, you know, what does it mean uh, is meant by executive function skills. And I will tell you that Tina Hart, who's a a coach um, that helped me along my way and is a, a, a friend. Um, she actually shared this particular definition with me from the executive skills in children and adults. And it's, um, you know, kind of more of the scientific, uh, I guess, definition. But executive function, we're talking about this neuropsychological concept referring to brain-based skills required for humans to effectively execute tasks and solve problems. So we're talking about those high level uh, cognitive processes that allow individuals to plan and direct activities, initiate tasks, you know, follow through with plans, sustain attention, have a good working memory, be able to control impulses, having flexibility and goal-directed persistence. So basically we're talking about those mental processes that help us connect past experience with the present. And as we know, these are skills that students need to have success in school as well as in life. 
<clears throat> so I'm going to go through and I'm going to talk about executive function skills. I'm probably going to mention a little bit about, you know, things we can do. But I was like I told Allison later in the webinar, I'm going to even have some more suggestions. So um, the first executive function skill, and I know a lot of you are familiar with this because you're you're dealing with it. So I'm hoping that these will be um, just ways to affirm what you know, and hopefully you'll come up with a few new tidbits um, to help you as well. So with response inhibition, we're talking about that concept of thinking before you act. You know, we see the kid um, stick his foot out to trip his friend thinking it's funny. And then of course the friend falls and hurts himself or whatever. That's an example of, you know, this development of response inhibition. That child is not there yet. He's not thinking before he acts. You know, we talk about as parents, we are continually modeling for our students all of these executive function skills. And I'll get into a little bit later in the presentation, you know, the difference between, you know, biology and environment and things like that. But um, just for example, um, a young child needs to be taught that, you know, you don't touch a hot burner. We as parents teach that and model that. And so hopefully our child will know not to touch a hot, a hot burner. Um, unfortunately, we know children do a lot of things without thinking before acting. And unfortunately, they suffer the consequences. So we will look a little bit more into that later in the presentation. The second executive function skill I wanted to talk about is the big one. You know, it's work. Oh, I need to go back to that last slide, sorry. It's on the bottom of the last slide. So working memory is holding things in memory while performing tasks. So, you know, are you able to, something didn't work right the first time or the second time, are you able to draw on that? So the next time you go through that same experience, you're able to draw on that and be more successful. Um, children working memory is huge for academic success. Um, we see it in math, you know, they go from two digits to three digits, et cetera. So they're having to pull from the past to work forward. Um, they're having to remember, where did I put my homework? It needs to be in my folder. It needs to be in my backpack. All those kinds of things to help them be able to get what they need in school the next day. Um, some things, and like I said, I'm going to kind of insert a little of this and then we'll talk a little bit more also. Some things that can help with working memory are for the younger children, you know, doing puzzles because they go through and they do a puzzle and the first time they're like, oh, it's kind of hard. And they do that same puzzle several times and they learn, oh, wait, last time I had to put this first, it's easier to do the border first. And so they learn from those. Um, singing songs, you know, the first time you sing a song, you don't know the words, you sing it enough times, that is starting to go into your working memory. So we teach children ways to help them hold things in memory. Um, mnemonics, I do that a lot with my students that I'm working with, you know, what are some tricks and some things that we can do to help remember? Even as adults, we know that we need a lot of support when it comes to working memory. Okay, so the next one we'll discuss is just looking at emotional control. And that is not only managing our emotions, 
but also being able to keep on task. This is very difficult for children with ADHD because when things don't go as planned, we know that's very difficult. Um, when other things are going on in the classroom, it's very hard for them to be able to keep on task. Um, when something unexpected comes up and they didn't get to do what they thought they were gonna get to do, Again, all of these things are things that we have to model and help them learn over time. But emotional control has to do with managing emotions and keeping on task. <clears throat> the next one is flexibility, which is being able to change plans and adapt to unexpected obstacles. So one of the things that we see flexibility kind of being put to the test is transitions. So uh, I was working with a student earlier that was having a hard time transitioning from class to class. He was always the last one getting his things packed up or whatever. And so we came up with some strategies to help those transitions be a little bit easier. And so again, that's something, you know, you can even work on at home. Let's transition from, you know, we're, we're in the swimming pool and we're going to transition to coming in and getting ready for dinner. As you know, children need um, warnings and they need, um, you know, the, the idea that this is going to happen in a few minutes. And again, we as parents and teachers and counselors, we all try to help our children learn strategies to becoming more flexible because we know that that plans do change. <laughs> we certainly learned that through COVID. Um, and then um, activities, you know, things that they can do um, to help them learn flexibility. You know, being in sports is a huge thing because as we know, when you go out on the soccer field or on the basketball court, um, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And sometimes children have a really hard time with, you know, being the losers or not winning the championship or whatever. So having them um, go through different um, sports and activities where the outcome is not known is a great way to help learn flexibility. And then as children get older in the teen years, um, you know, learning to revise plans, okay. I thought I was going here, but my friend canceled on me. So now I'm going to do, have to do something else. Or, you know, what um, I just learned in my chemistry class is different than what I thought. So now I've got to revise my project or whatever. Um, the next executive function skill that we're going to look at is sustained attention, which is staying on task. Um, that's being able to focus. Um, this is, you know, this is one I know as teachers and parents of ADHD students, we know this is a real struggle. Um, I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying, well, you know, my parents want me to do my homework at the kitchen table because they want to monitor but there's so much going on around me, the TV's on or my mom's cooking or the dog's barking or so sustaining attention is hard enough for, for all of us. And if you do have ADHD, it's even harder. So we have to stop and think, okay, what's their environment like? And is it conducive to helping them focus? 
Um, you know, being able to pay attention in class. Where is the child sitting in the classroom? You know, what obstacles might there be for that? So anyway, sustained attention is all about focusing. Um, the next one is task initiation, which is starting things in a timely manner and not procrastinating. And um, this is, again, another hard one for a lot of us, especially when it's something we do not want to do, right? <laughs> so I really don't, you know, want to go scrub the toilets or whatever. So um, we have to have a plan and Starting things in a timely manner has a lot to do with planning things out, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, things to be aware of. I know sometimes children with ADHD have a very hard time starting tasks in the classroom. Um, and, you know, the teacher gives the instruction and the child doesn't start and the teacher walks by and checks on the student and they still might not start. So, Again, strategies to help children initiate tasks, get things done, um, not, you know, take two hours to do a 15-minute assignment. And I'm sure all of you can relate to that. Okay, so next we're going to look at the executive function skill of, did you have a question? I just wanted you to mention, I see that you've got that book, Smart But Scattered Teens. I thought that was a great book. Tell them a little bit about that book, please. Yes. And that will be also in my references, but uh, Smart But Scattered is a great book. Um, when I took my JSD coaching ADHD um, with high school and college students, um, that was one of a great book and it's a great reference. And you'll see that reference on many of my slides. Um, and they literally go through, especially parents of teens. And I think there's also, if I remember correctly, a, uh, like an elementary um, uh, book on it as well. But it really gives you step-by-step -step, um, things to do, how to help your child, how to listen to your child. As Allison was saying earlier, you know, when we look at emotional control of a four-year-old, it's very different than when we look at a 10-year-old hitting puberty. And then again, when we look at, you know, a 14, 15-year-old who's now in the teen years trying to, you know, sprout their wings or whatever. So it is, it's a great resource. Um, and that, along with some other books you'll see at the end, um, I refer for y'all to look at as well. Um, okay, so planning and prioritizing is, you know, being able to put steps in place to um, achieve a goal and decide what needs to be done first. You know, um, we know that children would rather play their video games and go play with their friends before getting their homework done because they've been in school all day. And, you know, that homework is not always a priority. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. One of the um, things I want to talk about here is also, you know, we all, say, you know, I want to do better at this, or our kid says, I want to bring up my math grade, or I want to do better on tests. But unless you have a plan, um, you know, it's very hard to get those things to change. So having a, an actual plan, step-by-step -step plan helps children to achieve a goal. And that's where they need our guidance. They need our guidance in how do I get there? You know, uh, I want to bring up my grade. How do I get there? 
So organization is a huge one when we talk about um, executive function skills and ADHD. I did my homework, but I left it at home. I did my homework and I brought it to school, but I couldn't find it when I got there. I did my homework, but then I realized I didn't finish it when I got ready to turn it in. I did my homework, but I don't know where it is. Um, if any of these things sound familiar to you, um, you know what I'm talking about. So with organization and organization and that working memory work very closely together because you have to have those systems and structures in place to help you. Um, I, you know, my, my husband, we were talking about a wallet situation the other day. He goes, well, I always put my wallet here, but the one time I don't, then, you know, I'm looking for it. So helping our kids come up with those systems in place to help them keep organized. And again, all these strategies, I'm giving you very few here, and we'll talk more a little bit later. Okay, time management, another huge executive function skill. Usually when I work with students, I talk about organization and time management, right? You know, those are the two we usually start with. You know, how long does it take to complete a task? How do I plan ahead? I have a project due, but it's not due till March you know, 30th. So they think they have all the time in the world. Um, what do I need to do to get there? A lot of times they'll, they won't really think about it till the week of, um, you know, I have parents say, yeah, the night before the project, they were asking me to go buy a poster board or whatever. Um, and having a schedule, a family schedule is a great way to model, you know, keeping a calendar and looking ahead. Okay, guys, we see on Thursday night, we've got three activities going on. If you've got homework or whatever, that is not going to be a night where you're going to have a lot of time. So we have to look back on the nights that you have time. So time management is huge. And I know that sometimes, you know, for parents, it's hard too. you are managing so many things and um, sometimes things kind of slip through. But as much as we can, you know, modeling that, planning ahead, keeping that calendar and knowing what's coming up. Um, goal directed just simply means staying on track for completing goals. Some students, you know, go, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do that. And they never stick to anything and finish it. You know, it's like, uh, I remember an ADHD adult, you know, he would, he would start building all these different things, but nothing ever got finished. So being able to have a goal and stay on track and get it done. And we know that's difficult too for our students. And then the last executive skill I'm going to talk about is medic, metacognition, which is just basically being able to, you know, stand back and reflect on you know, what's worked for me, um, being able to problem solve, um, kids that have difficulty with metacognition sometimes don't have a tool bag um, for studying. Um, sometimes they hurry up and turn in their test. They don't think about stopping and looking over their test and proofreading before they turn it in. Um, also, sometimes students can have a hard time in being sensitive to others' feelings. Um, you know, they, they can't read other students very well and know that their joke or whatever they're telling at that moment 
is not appropriate. The response they're getting from the other student is indicative of that, but they're not picking up on it. And then also being able to learn from mistakes. You know, last time I got grounded when I stayed out past curfew. Um, so I need to be sure tonight, you know, I'm home on time. So those are the executive function skills. <laughs> and so now we're going to move on. And the next slide um, is going to talk about, well, actually we have one more. Okay, I, I have the goal directed a little bit more on both of those. Sorry, that other slide, I should have taken that out. But anyway, so we talked about being able to stay on track for completing goals. And one thing I re recommend is working with your student on SMART goals. I'm sure most of you have heard that term. SMART goals are goals that are very specific. They're measurable. So it's like, I wanna bring my test grade up five, five points. Uh, they're attainable. So it's not like I wanna make straight A's and the child has all these at the moment. Um, it's realistic or relevant. So it means it's like has purpose and then it also has a time limit. So I wanna achieve this goal by the end of the week or maybe it's the end of the quarter, depending on what the goal is. And then like I was just talking about metacognition. And so you're looking at self-evaluation, being able to monitor your behaviors, being sensitive to others and learning from your mistakes. And like I said, I had a kind of a double slide in there. So I, I apologize for that. <clears throat> so the next slide, um, I just divided up the executive function skills just so you can kind of look at this just briefly. So we have those executive function skills that deal with thinking, which is cognition, or with behavioral, which is those doing things. So working memory, um, being able to learn from past experiences, planning ahead, being organized, knowing where things are, managing my time, metacognition, those all have to do with cognition. Those behavioral type skills, being able to um, think before I act, um, response inhibition, being able to um, come back from things when my plans change, emotional control, being able to sustain attention even when there's other things going on, being able to initiate tasks, I get started when I need to, um, being able to have a goal in mind and persist through it, and then that flexibility. So those are, I just divided them up into thinking skills and doing skills, <clears throat> just so you can see it like that. Okay, so the next slide, um, we're gonna get into a little bit about what interferes with executive function development. So executive function development is mainly through the combination of biology and experience. So children are born with the potential to develop these skills um, as they grow. And we talked a lot about how modeling and teaching is a big part. So they have the capability of learning these skills, but we also have to nurture those skills. But sometimes things also get in the way of children learning these things. And it can be, you know, trauma, um, our genes. Um, you know, I have to say all the years I worked in the school setting and if I was at carpool and things were literally falling out of the parent's car, and then I remember things falling out of the child's locker. I'm like, 
you know, that was to me a, <laughs> a definite sign of that running in the genes. And so, um, and then, you know, a non-nurturing environment, um, you know, obviously those are rare, you know, not pre prevalent, but, you know, child abuse, those kind of things, obviously. And then um, a child that has a learning disorder or difficulty, which, you know, that's kind of where we are looking at the ADHD diagnosis. But keep in mind, we all have strengths and weaknesses. We all have areas that we can work on when it comes to executive function. Um, Linda, when when people, so you, you have listed some things here and with the number of people that we have on um, uh, this evening, it, any one of those things could be a, an issue for their child. Um, yeah. Trauma to the brain, genes, non-nurturing environment. Um, is there recovery from that? Like, so in the example of, of trauma, like maybe, you know, it, it, nobody gets to decide what the trauma is. The trauma could be horrendous or it could have been horrendous to the child. Like the parents got divorced. Right. Um, is there a fix for that or, or, or what happens if it's identified that those, you know, pathways that didn't necessarily develop, what, what, what happens? Well, the good thing is, is that, you know, with all the research that's been done lately with brain development and all, we know that it's key when children are younger, right, that there's a real learning of the brain going on there. And it used to be, oh, if you don't do it, then you're not going to get later. But we know now that uh, with our, you know, pre-adolescence, adolescence, that the brain is still learning and um we're going to get a little bit more into this too, but yes, children can still learn executive function skills. We have to know that they're probably not going to be where their peers are at that time. Obviously, depending on the trauma or what's going on, um, you know, they may need some additional guidance or therapy or uh, along the way, but no, learning executive function skills can happen. I mean, I know adults that are finally putting things into place to help them. So, um, you know, I hope that helps a little bit. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so I'm not going to get too much into Dr. Brown, but he's a big guru in, um, you know, looking at ADHD and executive function skills. And um, he kind of categorized these executive function skills a little differently, um, you know, children with ADHD obviously experience much more difficulty in the development and use of these functions. Um, but you may notice strengths and weaknesses in all these areas. All the students I work with, and that's why I do it individually, may have strengths in some of these areas and more substantial weaknesses in some of these areas. And so I just wanted to show you, and if you want to read more about you know, Brown, there's a Brown clinic um, that will be in my references as well, uh, where he really gets more into this. And we don't have time, I know, tonight to get dig into that. But he categorizes them as activation, which is that getting started, being able to organize and prioritize. You know, does your child have a difficulty with this or is this one of his his one of their their strengths? Um, focus, being able to sustain attention and then shift attention. Okay, I've got to move from, you know, doing my math homework to my history to working out of the gym or whatever, being able to, to move. Um, effort, which is regulating your attention, again, sustaining your effort and processing speed. And I know students 
processing speed can be a huge um, factor in the school setting. Um, emotion, you know, managing frustration and moderating excitement and anger appropriately. Um, being able to recall and take all this information we have and be able to, to use it effectively. And then action, monitoring actions and regulating behavior. So I just wanted to show you Dr. Brown. He would be a good one if you wanted to know more about his, his background and his expertise on the topic. Um, so I know you've heard this, most of you. So the brain and executive function. So the prefrontal cortex, which is in red in the screen, is related to executive function skills. And this is the part of the brain that helps us make decisions. It helps us remember things. It helps us think of consequences, plan ahead. What would happen if this happens? And even though children, and we can help our teens and, and adolescents, you know, uh, help their executive function skills, their brain is continually growing. And so, you know, I've read, you know, around 25, some say even as late as the later 20s, that the brain is still growing. And this part of the brain that's saying, hey, you know, should I drive the speed limit or, you know, 20 miles over the speed limit is not developed. And so our teens are still learning. And I always think, mm, and we're giving 16-year-olds driver's license, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> okay, um, the next slide. So um, we're trying to, we're talking about things that get in the way of the development of executive function skills. So I've already mentioned, you know, those things that can interfere the trauma, the genes, the uh, learning dis uh, disorder. And we've talked a little bit about, okay, we got this prefrontal cortex still developing. And then we also have pre-adolescence and adolescence. And, you know, I worked for many, many years in the middle school, like I said, and saw these things so often. But, you know, when the children are going through puberty and pre-adolescence, you know, they really are forgetful. And, you know, we hear this, I did my homework, but I forgot to turn it in. So just imagine, you know, the ADHD kid going through pre-adolescence and puberty. Um, we know friendship issues and peer pressure becomes huge. So their priorities change. And, you know, maybe finishing that assignment is not near as appointment, is near, <laughs> not near as important as, you know, meeting my friends at the park or whatever. Um, irritability and mood swings. So we see this for pre-adolescents, you know, they're happy one minute, they're sad the next minute. Um, again, all of these things interfere with being able to navigate through things we need to do. And then procrastination, you know, there's, there's periods of true lack of energy, uh, or they take on too many activities, or they stretch a simple task into an all-night project. I know sometimes parents would say, you know, my child spent three hours on homework last night. And then when we went back and really examined what the child had to do, it was maybe really more like 45 minutes of homework. So again, um, just the characteristics of pre-adolescence, and I could do a whole, um, you know, <laughs> webinar on pre-adolescence, but we won't get into that. But those are just some other things to keep in mind if you do have a child, you know, between like the ages of 10 and 14, 15 as well as teens, really. And that's actually from the, um, the pamphlet from the National Middle School Association. 
And this is just a little uh, clip I have, you know, drastic mood swings due to hormonal changes, they clobber and migrate, dad. So just another factor in there, um, working against our kiddos um, in their accomplishments in school. So how do we help foster the development of these executive function skills? So <clears throat> we talked about that, you know, children are born with the capability and capacity to learn executive function skills, but they need our help. They need our help as parents, they need our help as teachers. And so we have to, you know, help the child figure out, um, you know, what do I need to do in this situation? What do I need to do first? What do I do if I'm getting ready to cross the street? You think about, it's, it's, it's gonna be age appropriate too. If you think about a three-year-old cannot decide if it's safe to cross the street. So we're going to model for that child. We're going to work with that child on learning to cross the street safely. And then as um, they get older and we've practiced the skill over and over, they know what they need to do to um, cross the street safely. Modeling a lot Is of it, things. Like, yes. I'm sorry. I was going to say, could you just give us some examples for some of our older kids, the older, the teenagers, or maybe they're young adults. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, their brains aren't fully formed yet, and they're still needing some help on, on these things, on, on effective ways of, of, of modeling or helping older kids that maybe not, might not want your help that much. <laughs> right. And, and we know that our teenagers, um, a lot of times don't, um, I know that uh, I've had a few parents call me and say, well, my child says he doesn't need any help. And I said, well, you know, let me just kind of talk to the child and tell them what I what I do and what I recommend and, and let them decide. Um, you, you know, especially with the teens, you really have to um, kind of partner with them. You know, when we just tell them what they need to do when they get to a certain age, instead of working in kind of a relationship with them. Um, you know, what we, What do you think would be the best way to bring up your grade in math instead of just saying, you know, you need to study more, like actually go through steps to help them understand what they need to do to bring that grade up. I have a note here. There's an executive skill development chart by age. And in my resources, um, uh, you all might want to look at that because it talks about all the executive function skills and kind of when children learn things at different ages I couldn't get it to really display very well, and it's not my chart. So that will definitely be in the resources if you all want to look at that. Um, when we tell our children things like, you need to clean your bedroom. Well, their idea of a clean bedroom is that they took everything, threw it under the bed, their bed's made, and that's a clean bedroom. And if we have not really talked to our children about what the expectations are of a clean bedroom, then we really can't fault them. Um, if we are yelling at people on the phone, um, if we are getting upset a lot of times in front of them, you know, our children are watching us and learning. And so our modeling is huge. Um, if a child is having problems, let's say with a peer or a friend, sitting down and really listening to our child and having them share things that are going on and then brainstorming some strategies. Well, you know, do you think that your friend understood that you were upset or 
Did you tell your friend that you, you know, you had to leave at a certain time? So communication is really big. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about helping children just through the process of, of making decisions and executing um, in a later slide. So again, how do we foster the development of these executive function skills? So with organization, you know, planning, working memory, um, I just talked about like, what does the clean bedroom look like? Well, help your child establish an organized binder or backpack. And what does that look like? Does it, and they don't all have to look the same, but what are the steps that, that I need to get there? and write them down and let the child put them into action. So for example, um, I need my binder to have a planner in the front. I need my binder to have folders for each one of my classes. I need my binder to not have loose papers in it. And you have to literally look at each step. And I say, write them down because everything that I'm reading about, um, working memory and the ADHD brain is that writing them down is the best thing to do. I know a lot of our kids want to use apps and all that, which is a great backup, but still writing them down um, helps them again with that um, encoding in that working memory. And I know you've heard a lot about, you know, growth mindset versus fixed mindset and so having the kids, once you come up with a plan, like what, what is your organized binder going to look like? What is your backpack going to look like? Or maybe what is your locker going to look like? And you establish what that is and the steps for it, then have them go back and say, well, did those steps work? Did the plan work? What happened? What got in the way? Well, you know, I was putting my books in there great for a few days and then I just started throwing them in, whatever. And so have them learn from their mistakes and adjust their plan. And that's really the difference between that growth mindset and fixed mindset. Like failure is an opportunity to grow. Making mistakes, it's an opportunity to learn. Um, sometimes kids, if, if we're always problem solving for our kids and not encouraging them to problem solve, then you know we're kind of giving them the idea that they aren't capable of doing that. And, you know, even young children are capable of, you know, putting their shoes where they go. We just have to work with it, model it, and encourage it. And I feel like a lot of times that, you know, it's easier if we just do it ourselves. And then we are giving those, our children the message they can't do it, or they don't do it right, or it has to be perfect. And then we're leaning towards, you know, that fixed mindset of, well, you know, I can't do it right. So why do it at all? <laughs> so the next slide um, is, um, whoops, I think we went. Okay. So just a few more ideas about fostering that, the growth of executive function skills. So we talked about task initiation, getting students to start things. And I know it's huge. Um, I've talked to many students about, yeah, well, I always like to, when I don't really want to do something, I just seem, seem to move it to later in the night. And so we've talked about how really, you know, if you can set a timer for 15 minutes and say, okay, this one assignment I really don't want to do, I'm going to focus on it for 15 minutes. 
One thing that might happen is they get really into the assignment and they're able to push through for another 15 minutes. If it's something that they really don't want to do, then let them push through for 15 minutes, take a break and come back. I mean, ultimately, they, depending on, again, the age of the child, they should be able to work for about 30 minutes on something and then take a break. But if it's something they really are having a hard time with, then setting those timers. Um, I know many of you parents have, have heard and probably in um, ARDS and things like that about chunking, chunking assignments, chunking long-term assignments. Um, I actually have students schedule out step one, step two, step three. When are you going to start it? When are you going to finish it? And really making a plan um, for those long-term assignments. And then what is an incentive? You know, if I, you know, work, work through you know, I do two 30 minute segments, I take a couple of breaks and I get my homework done. What's an incentive? Well, maybe I get to have an extra 15 minutes on a video game. Um, I get to go out and shoot hoops for 15 minutes. So again, those incentives sometimes help our children get through those things they really don't want to do. Um, time management, again, estimating and planning out. So as children get older, have them not only write down what they need to do, but to estimate how much time they're going to need to do each of those things. And then go back and look at their estimation. Was their estimation correct? Way off? Again, they're learning. They're learning from that past experience. Next time they'll allow more time for that or next time they'll allow less time for that. But having them start estimating time for doing things um, is very helpful and then planning it out. Linda, can you um, talk to the group about, you know, I know that some parents have younger kids. I know we've got a broad range on here today, but for our younger um, kids with this diagnosis where kid, the family, the parent might be feeling like, when are they ever going to be like semi-independent on their schoolwork where we have third and fourth and fifth graders that need mom or dad to sit by them every step of the way with the homework where other uh, neurotypical kids their age have been doing their homework by themselves since second or third grade mostly you know I mean they have assistance right um, can you um, talk to parents about that and kind of give them hope or suggestions in that in those situations because I think that's a real thing and and I'll look at the chat box for additional questions as well okay yeah, and I do get that. And, um, and, you know, I know that with the ADHD children, we're looking at, you know, the numerical age doesn't equal, you know, where they are as far as um, their work habits and social and all of that. I really feel like, though, this is where the timers can be huge. So, you know, you look at the assignment, and you set the timer, and you say for 15 minutes, or if it's, I mean, if it's, if a child that's really having a hard time, maybe you start with five minutes and you say for five minutes, we're going to concentrate on whatever it is. Maybe it's spelling words. And then, then you get them to set the timer and they can concentrate. It's going to have to be, I know, in little increments, but I, a lot of things I have read, the timers are really good for all ages. And so getting them to initiate that task with the timer. Another thing that sometimes the work that students get, there's like so much coming at them on the page. So let's say they have a, um, um, a third grader has a math assignment and they have all these problems. 
I would say, you know, to get a blank sheet of paper and cover up everything but the first two or three problems and let them do those and then move down. Because when there's a lot coming at them on the page, it gets overwhelming and they want to throw up their hands. It's too much. I can't do it. So you just start with, let's do the first three problems. Let's do the next three problems. And again, it's going to be incremental, but, um, and I know we all, like all the parents I'm working with right now, that's one of our goals is to get the child to be more independent um, and to be accountable for, for completing, but putting these little things um, in place. Um, I think the family calendar is really important for time management and letting the, letting your child see I'm planning out everything we need to do this week. You know, you need to plan out, um, you know, your homework and planning ahead of time. And again, I know for the younger children, they need more um, support for that. But I think modeling it and doing it together that eventually they're going to take over. If I just sit down with you every night and say, okay, get your homework done for 10 minutes, I'm not really showing you how to do it. So we're going to set a timer for five minutes. We're going to work on this. We're going to cover up these problems. We're going to get these three problems done. And so just starting with the baby steps. So hopefully, like I said, through the modeling and kind of the directives, they learn, they can at least sit down for 15 minutes and do something on their own. Um, the we, we had a, another question about the, t the timer. Um, you know, one person says on having a timer placed on any task completely stress stresses my daughter out. She'll watch the clock instead of working on the goal. Um, mm -hmm. any suggestions for that? She is 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have seen that that anxiety, you know, factor can kick in as well. And we know a lot of our students with ADHD do have anxiety, um, and, you know, I wouldn't have it beeping, you know, how, like, I know sometimes during Saratus, I'll have the, the, <laughs> the noise of the clock. And maybe, maybe you just say, if they're trying to learn the time, you know, in about 10 minutes, let's see if you can get this done. And maybe you have, you know, the timer kind of in the background at first until they see that maybe 10 minutes is longer than they really realize and not to be stressed out about the time, but it's just kind of a guide. Um, I wouldn't have a big clock going tick, tick, tick in front of them. You know, I've seen that in the classroom and that always concerns me because <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, some kids are really freaking out right now watching that. Um, One thing I want to mention, Linda, too, though, is not, you know, we've been talking about the working memory and a lot of our kids, you know, maybe you've had some testing, maybe you haven't. Right. But a lot of our kids have processing speed delays. And if you haven't had that tested and you don't know if your child has a processing speed delay, it really, really matters and affects this because here you're thinking, oh, you should be able to do this in five minutes or 15 minutes or whatever that timeline is that you're, you're, you're thinking of. But if you don't know if your child has processing speed delays and they're really behind like the three hour thing that should have taken 45 minutes that she was... Right you know, referring to um, earlier, we're having, if they have true processing speed delays, you may be having very unrealistic expectations for the student. And that's why they're frustrated and you're frustrated. Everybody's frustrated. And there are definitely accommodations in the classroom for that. So I just wanted to mention that because I think sometimes as parents, and you know, we always want our kids to be the best that they can be. Um, but sometimes we're pushing them to a fault beyond their even capacity. Sometimes we enable, there's no question, but other times they, it's beyond their capacity with their, with their processing speed. 
Yes. And, and the processing speed is huge. And, you know, I recommended all the years I was a counselor to, you know, sometimes parents would just want to get an ADHD, maybe diagnosis through the pediatrician. And I go, you know, really a psychoevaluation is the best educational assessment is the best because a lot of times kids have different things going on, right? More than just one. And I know the accommodation in the classroom is when you call a student, you know, don't expect an answer in, you know, five seconds. They may need a full minute because again, they're trying to pull it up. It's there. And so again, with all these things, you you know, the time is something, again, the estimation of time is something that has to be kind of trial and error a little bit. It really does. And I know um, I have a student right now and she said, well, our teacher puts his time stamp on things, but I know I'm going to need more time for all these things. And so that's okay. It's, I think sometimes, you know, students get so distracted or so overwhelmed or, you know, emotionally distressed or whatever, sitting there doing their homework that there's, there can be periods of time where they're not being productive, right? And so they need to take a break. Like if your child is not being productive, then it's time to take a break because you sitting there and pushing them, pushing them is, is not going to get it. So it's just time to take a break. And maybe you do, you know, 10 minutes and take a break. You, you hope as they get older that, you know, extends out, but there's no perfect science to that. Um, so Linda, I just wanted to mention for for um, families that have kids that they know that they have the processing speed delay, that is definitively something that can be worked out in accommodations, like maybe um, like they don't have to be timed on their times tables. They used to do those like kind of yes. racing times tables or racing yes. spelling and stuff like that yes. to where they'll get to do that in a different setting and not be timed. And and we've seen that kids that had those accommodations with those processing speed delays and when they weren't put under that time constraint that they did well. I mean, they passed and some of them even got a hundred on these things. Whereas when they were put under the gun with the time, then yeah. they were just know that there are accommodations out there. So if that's a real issue for you and that's not a, an accommodation that your student has, that is one that you can specifically ask for. And the testing that did that processing speed delay would talk about the percentage of how far behind the processing speed was, which would also indicate uh, and, and provide context for the support um, of extra time and those types of things. Right. And I know a lot of students, as they get a little bit older, they need the extended time too, because of that, like on testing or whatever they're doing. And if they stay in the classroom, they're like, oh, all my friends are finishing. I better hurry up and finish. And they're not being able to do their best. And so that's why I'm seeing more and more situations now where children can go into a testing room or center, even in high school, they have that. So they're not feeling that pressure because yes, it just takes them longer to pull up that information. Like there's so many things to cover with all of this. I know I'm not hitting everything. Sure. Well, there, there, those accommodations can even extend into college. You can get extra time and yes. distracted, um, yes. you know, a, a, a non, you know, distracted setting and other things like that. You can get accommodations on SAT and ACT and things like that. Um, yes. Linda, we have about five minutes, so I'm going to let you kind of take it away. And um, okay. thank you for going deeper with that. Okay. Okay. So anyway, um, just bringing up very briefly, you know, um, we know children um, have problems with focus and paying attention. And so exercise is key. Um, having your children do something, even when they're doing their breaks um, between homework, it's very um, important to have them do something um, 
not, you know, really using their brain, they're taking a brain break. So doing something physical, those endorphins can kick in. And also we know some of our students need brain breaks every 20 to 30 minutes when they're studying. Um, and I was reading something the other day about, you know, don't have them on their, you know, computers or phones or whatever, because they need a true break. Their brain needs a true break, a, a true break. And so these are some other stress reducers, you know, deep breathing, mindfulness, meditation, spending time with friends, just whatever um, they can do to kind of reduce their stress. And I mentioned some apps there um, that you could download on your devices as well. Just, just a little um, uh, being mindful that children do need to, um, you know, take time to have a break and, and decompose. So this is just kind of a reminder here that, you know, these skills do develop over time. They don't all develop the same for everyone. And that we do model, you know, what we're modeling, um, you know, our children are learning from. So if we say, you know, keep your bedroom clean and, you know, our areas are not clean, you know, what are we really modeling for them? So we have to walk the talk as I, as I say. <clears throat> and, um, so anyway, uh, as I said, um, I am an executive function coach. I've been doing it for a little over a year. I worked with executive function skills in the classroom, uh, especially as a counselor for many years. And in the coaching process, we basically, um, you know, develop goals, um, action steps, accountability, and incentives. And so coaching is a little different because it's actually a partnership with the student and coach. And of course, the ultimate goal is for the student to be empowered and achieve success. Um, and when you see things like, you know, later incomplete homework, failure to turn things in, ability to find their books, having difficulty managing social interactions, these are just a few of those um, signs that your child might need a little help um, with the executive functions. And a lot of parents say, you know, I'm so tired of, you know, arguing with my child about whatever. I just, you know, need someone else to step in. And so I think on my next slide, I might. I, I, I just want to ask about coaching and, you know, like, you know, for a lot of the families, um, you know, a lot of these kids have been in counseling and therapy since four years old. Sometimes there's medication intervention going on. And I think that as some parents, depending on the age of their children, parents have fatigue of what's really going to work. I call it the relentless pursuit of information of like the fix, like there has to be a fix, like mm -hmm. the child isn't broken. But why coaching over some of these other things that may have may or may have not been effective in the past? Tell us about that. Yes. Well, and, you know, I like I said, I was a counselor and a teacher and I know, you know, all of these children have a psychologist and things like that. But what I found with the coaching is that it is truly a partnership and one of the key factors is, you know, seeing if the child will have buy-in and actually work with you. So I don't tell them what to do. We brainstorm. Um, if something's not successful, um, I'll come up with an idea or suggestion. I'll say, do you think you could try this? And, you know, a lot of times I'll say, yeah, I'll try that or no, I want to do it this way. And so it's, it's a continual kind of going back and forth. It's not me just telling them what to do. Um, 
And like I said, because I was a teacher and a counselor, I feel like this role is different. A lot of parents, like I said, they're just like, you know, I'm constantly battling with them about getting things done. Um, when I meet with students every week for the first three months, I also have that accountability um, component where I check in with the child twice a week. I either text or call them and I talk to them about their action steps and what's working and what's not working and what do we need to do differently. So it kind of relieves the parent a little bit from that accountability. And um, then again, you know, the incentives, which is part of it. And so you saw a little bit about that. And this is just my little acknowledgements page. And these are the references and resources, which I know Allison said you'll get a copy of. These are some of the resources I use. And then I have a couple additional resources for the parents. And like I said, that the chart I was talking about on executive functioning skills um, is in that last slide. So I just want to remind everybody that um, tonight, everybody is going to get a copy of these slides, Linda's contact information, and a, a link to the recording um, of this presentation. We appreciate you guys taking the time to be with us um, here tonight. Um, in that email with the slides and the recording, you'll also have uh, the membership on how to join the ADA organization should you be interested in that. Um, and, and like I said, it's like, it's super cheap. It's like $40. I, I think it's 40. It might even be 25. I'm not even sure, but it's, it's super cheap for a family for, for the year. It's not a month. Um, so it's a great organization uh, to support. So I would just like to thank everybody. I know everybody's had a busy day and having a meeting at 630 is kind of the last thing that you want to do, especially when you're dealing with all this homework that we were talking about that these kids have that they delay. Um, <laughs> but thank you for taking the time to be with us. We will have a, a another meeting. Uh, next month, the last Tuesday of every month, by signing up for this meeting, you'll get the communications of our other meetings that are coming up, uh, so you can join those as well. So thank you, Linda. It's such a ple pleasure. This was our first time ever partnering with you to, to learn about your um, skills and organization, and you were really wonderful, even though you said you weren't a, you know, an expert or a professional speaker or whatever. You really did a great job. So thanks, thank everybody. I hope everybody has a great rest of the week, and we look forward to connecting again soon. Okay. Take thank care. You. Bye. Bye now. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.